Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Here we are again, A to Z Running Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Andy. And we've got a wonderful episode today. The people in our lives who support us in our training endeavors. Yeah, and it's a season of love. We're recording this in February, just before Valentine's Day. And, you know, we can love the people in our lives who take the time and the energy and the thought to reach out to us or to support us in a variety of different ways. So we're just recognizing that today. And there are people that we are not going to get to mention that we would have liked to. So just wanted you to know that if you've been part of our lives, we see you and we thank you. Yeah. And it's just a really good thing that we've got Valentine's Day. So uh, otherwise we would forget to love each other the rest (laughs) of the year. So good thing Hallmark made a season of love for us so that we can actually show our love. So much to talk about from the world of running in the last weekend. Uh, So we're going to focus on track here because that's where most of most of everything is happening at the moment. Not everything, but most things. So uh, lots of records, lots of records. Yeah. Great for American distance running. So at the Milrose Games, Ellie Pereer, she ran the mile. And this was kind of a surprise attack because she ran an eight second personal best time to get the American record. This wow. is a 37-year-old American record. and It, it was she got the, the oldest standing record in distance running, period. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. That's oldest so interesting. Oldest standing record for, in, 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 in Americans. Yeah. Yeah. 30 some odd years. That's crazy. So a full mile in 416. 416. Yeah. All right. Um, so a couple of things about this performance. First of all, obviously that's huge. She ran 424 several weeks ago and that was her PR at the time. And then yeah. 416 now eight seconds faster. Um, it's the second fastest indoor mile in the world ever. Um, so that's crazy. That's a, yeah. That puts her, that puts her in uh you know, in, in an elite league of course. Um, it, it also she won over the over the top of some of the world's best. Um, she beat the German national record holder, who in the same race broke the German national record. That's Constanze Klosterhofen, and commonly referred to as Coco. And then in in third place was the British record holder. Um, is it Jima Jima Riki? I can't remember her first name, but she is new on the scene. So Laura Muir was a long time. Uh, kind of the stud in Great Britain for middle distance running. And Riki just broke her 800 indoor record a few weeks back and then now broke her mile indoor record. So this is the same race. We're still talking about the same race. Wow. So three national records. But wait, there was one more. The Canadian national record, Gabriella, something that ends in Stafford. Um, and she broke the Canadian national record in a 419 for fourth place. So four across the line, all breaking national records. And the next three to follow were all personal best times as well. What good a day. race. It was a good day for running. That's one of those moments where you're just like, if I can just be in this race, amazing things, magic is going to happen. It's crazy. Yeah. What's the next one, Andy? Yeah, so then there are two athletes that we want to mention who improved their own 
American records. One of them is Aji Wilson in the 800. She ran 158.29. So Aji Wilson ran 158.27, two hundredths faster last year. Um, but she had a banned substance in her system. So when they did the, did the post-race drug test, she failed it and was, um, I don't know what the right word is here. She was not banned because of it, uh, because it was it was proven to be that she did not know she had ingested something that was a banned substance. It was unintentional. So um, she did she did lose the record, but she came back this year and very nearly ran the same time. Yeah. Incredible performance. And she didn't run it her preferred way. She usually likes to lead mm. and she didn't lead this race. Maybe that pushed her an extra bit. And in a post-race interview, said she was inspired by Donovan Brazier's race, which ah. was right before that. What did he Great do, Andy? Great segue. He ran another national record, American record, in 144.22. Wow. And an yeah. indoor 800. Which that's, was his own. Something. He beat his own American record. Yeah. So obviously we've been talking about Donovan. He's just, he's been lighting it up in the last, well, he's been lighting it up since he graduated high school, but um, certainly in the last 12 months, things have just been on fire for him and it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't know, he did win the gold in Doha for the world championships uh, this summer. Yeah. And uh, so one of the notable things about his race, similar to Aji's, is that he did not run his traditional race uh, structure. He usually goes out hard as well and leads um, he's more comfortable that way, but, uh, the common, the common factor in the 800 is that it's almost always run essentially your first lap is just a tiny bit faster than your second lap at the elite level. That's almost always the case. Not always, but we, you know, we talk about negative splitting a race is the ideal race plan, but in the 800, it's, it's not quite the way it falls most of the time. It has a lot to do with the, how hard you have to run to run that kind of time. Um, it's very hard to negative split. However, Donovan didn't just negative split this race that he won in American record time. Um, he negative split over two seconds from his first to his second lap. His last 200 meters was something like 24 seconds. Which uh, what? Is, that's like what? good for a 200 meter sprint at a you know at like a mundane level, not an elite level, but um, that's just it's insane. And you just if you watch the race that last lap, he's with everyone at the bell the last lap. And he just blows their drawers off for that last 200. It's in so incredible fast. to see. Yeah, so that's really exciting. It's especially exciting because uh, the U.S. Indoor Track and Field Championships are this weekend. And so uh, clearly all these elites are just on fire killing it. And uh, so it's going to be exciting to watch that. Now, not included in the senior U.S. track and field scene, but a couple of other notable things. First of all, Got to mention world records. Uh, yeah. Mondo Duplantis, who's uh, we mentioned him from the World Championships because he was one of the three pole vaulters that was just awesome to watch yeah, at the World Championships. Sweden. He is Swedish, um, and he he was kind of like part of that camaraderie thing. You know, the three of them medaled gold, silver, bronze. I think he was the silver medalist, if I recall, from Doha. And the three of them at the end of the meet did like uh, flip together on the mat and then just kind of like hung out for a while just chatting, which is really cool. Camaraderie is awesome to see. Um, but he also just broke the world pole vault record at 20 years of age. Yeah, which was, and it was record. 20 feet. So if the trivia ever feet. comes yeah. up, he's 20 years 6. old. 6.17 meters. Yeah. That's really, that's incredible. 
And then the last one, Nico Young. He is a high schooler, and he just broke the high school 3,000-meter record at that same Milrose meet that we were talking about with the others and ran 7.56, I believe it was, um, three seconds under Drew Hunter's high school record. And Drew Hunter's a notable name in the high school running scene because he was breaking records. And now Nico Young, who won the Nike Cross National, Nike Cross or Foot Locker Nationals, I can't remember, but um, he was on fire in cross country and has continued that um, really exciting just to see the the youth in the sport just continuing to to blow out um, you know great performances and things like that. Yeah, and for those of you who don't follow track and field, this it was an indoor track meet. Indoor. Uh, and Milrose Games is in New York City. Yeah. So you're not going to do an outdoor track meet in New York in no. February. <laughs> but I just wanted to let everyone know if you don't really follow track and field, this was indoor track, and there are different world records and American records in indoor um, than there are in outdoor. So we've got uh, many more things to talk about, but we'll uh, hold off until next time. We'll uh, give you more from the world of running next week. Whether someone has paced you to your goal, peeled you off the ground after a difficult race, stayed home with sick kids for your run or workout, traveled to cheer you on, transported, housed, or fed you, or sent you that perfectly timed text, our support people deserve some love this season. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about support people and some stories that go along with that because really, even though it's like an individual sport, it can be a team effort too everything i mean we talk about community this is this is where community helps us thrive in many instances so when we think about support um we're kind of tackling this from two directions one is how to how how we support people well like what that actually looks like to support people well and we've got all these examples of how people feel supported that'll help to give ideas for how you know how we do that well and then the other side of it is just showing appreciation for the people who support us I, I think you can never underestimate how easy it is for someone to feel like they're doing a lot and it's not heard or it's not noticed and so we always want to try to recognize and acknowledge the ways that people support us so just thinking about quickly Andy how how do we support people well what comes to mind when you just think about how we can do that for other people yeah, so I learned by a lot of your examples out there. Um, I was inspired by some of the stories that I heard too, but I think the intentionality with just communicating, I think in all relationships, it comes down to some communication. So if I'm texting a friend asking how their race went, or I'm telling them I'm excited for them, or that I'm thinking of them on race day, they don't feel as so alone. And I've had, I've reciprocated that. And it feels so good to know that people care and that you're not going out there with knowing the world, caring what you're doing. Yeah. That's one of the hard things about running as a sport is you're not really doing it with a team, especially as, especially if you're not in a high school or college environment, you're really not doing it with a team most of the time. And and I love the running groups that form because that you can help feel that kind of dynamic. But in reality, when you hit that race, most of the time, you're kind of doing something alone. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I agree, Andy. I think just for, for all of us, when we feel like people see us in our striving and in our accomplishments and in our failures, um, that, that means a lot to us. 
in some other ways, I, I've only gotten to do it a couple times, but pacing others. Mm. And it's so fun, too. It's very bonding to be in the trenches and to help someone achieve their goal. It might be worthwhile to just mention, too, because I know some of you may feel this way that um, sometimes th- there's some elements of people running with us that are good and elements that could be negative. And so it's important. Uh, I should never assume that someone wants me to run with them. Like, you know, I shouldn't just w- jump in there and be like, oh, I'll help you out. I'll run with you uh, unless I know that that's actually something that will help. And the two examples that always come to mind, the one is, I don't remember who told us this. Um, it might have been a family member. I can't recall. But um, just the fact that if if someone's running next to you and they're like, you know, feeling great and chipper and energetic and you're feeling awful and miserable, it can be degrading because this person's just kind of like bouncing along and you're slugging it out and so that, that, that can be a negative thing. And for some, that's a good thing because it distracts you from the pain, if you will. Um, but I don't know that for sure. I should never assume that. And the other one, it comes from Andy. Andy will often tell me that it can be frustrating for her when trying to do something hard, when she's in, in yeah. the struggle, when, especially like for me, so my stride length is quite a bit longer than hers. And it can be frustrating for her when our rhythms are so far apart, so different, for her to find her comfortable rhythm is more of a challenge when I'm running next to her in a completely different rhythm and effort. Well, I think a lot of us could come up with some stories about support in our lives. And I could have gone in a lot of different directions with this, but there's one that holds a very clear vision in my mind and it's been recent. So on a 20 mile run, I recently did my brother-in-law, George, he watched my boys, which was a great support to me. But also I, I kind of did it a spur of the moment because there was a winter storm coming and I didn't have any fuel. So I had only had like 300 calories for the whole day and it was 1230. So it was afternoon and I did this zero fuel, which is common for me in the long run. And it was a 20 miler and towards the end, I was in complete depletion complete depletion. And I have a former teammate of mine who passed away in a car accident, but she was a really good teammate. And something she always used to say to me was latch on, latch on. And I, she was actually, I was supposed to be the one helping her out. Like I came in as a top recruit, but she was actually faster than me in most of the distance races. Um, but coming into our freshman year, she really encouraged me along. And, um, during so, that, so that's like when you're racing, she would say that too? She'd, yeah, she would say latch on during races and workouts. Uh, those times that are like really critical to like keep with the pack. And um, she did that for me. And so now I've been missing her for over a decade and she still comes to mind and her legacy of support lives on now. And in this 20 mile run, I was getting a little delirious, I think maybe, I don't know. And I saw a vision of her and, um, she was saying to latch on and like it, it kept my eyes up and my drive strong. And she's like, you can do this now. Like I can't do this now. This is your time to do it. And a vision of another one of my teammates appeared to me, Janelle Thorne, and um, she's currently recovering from being hit by a car while running. And their support through many, many years lived in me. And it's amazing how powerful those memories and their and um, Kendra's legacy and Janelle's support through so much time and space helped me in that 20-mile run, even though they weren't physically with me. Definitely. And that's kind of that point that we had said, like... Um, you know, the ways that you support someone, 
have lasting impact. You know, so it doesn't have to be some grand thing. These small things, even just like this idea of when we're running workouts together and I'm trying to get you to come with me, that Kendra was saying latch on, you know, that can stick with you. That's great. So I will tell one about Andy. As you might guess, Andy has been quite supportive over the years in so many different ways. Um, but this one in particular is a kind of an interesting story because I was running the 2016 Detroit Marathon, and many of you are probably familiar with that course. Um, and so the Detroit Marathon runs for the first half. It's kind of in a pretty tight uh, sphere, but it's not, um, it runs into Canada and back into the U S. And so for that part, you don't get a ton of spectators crossing the bridge with you, if you will. So, um, what I, some context here, as you might guess, I'm kind of type A about these things and I'm a bit he of a is. planner. Oh, he is. So <laughs> like whenever our family goes to races together, I like create Google docs with all the details we need to know and <laughs> several pages of them and send <laughs> them to everyone. And then I like tell them to do things and no one, n- no one opens a Google doc and they're always that's like, who cares? They do, but it's a lot to remember. It's a lot yeah, of planning. It, and that's exactly why I do it. I yeah. plan it all out because it's a lot. To, so for the marathon, as you might guess, I did the same thing and a number of Andy's family members were there because her sister lives in town. So we always kind of make a trip out of it. And I gave everyone a job. So mm-hmm. I, I took a map of the course ahead of time and I like drew spots on it and circles and, and everything. And it was like, I want people to be in this certain spot doing this certain thing at this certain time. And I had it all planned out. And so it was like, basically they were going to be handing me bottles or, or like taking my hat or, you know, so, so I can toss my hat off all that kind of stuff. So I get into the race and it, the first one was right before or right after coming back in from Canada. Um, cause you know, basically you run like a mile, two miles and then you're in Canada. So I didn't want anyone in, in there, but I get back from Canada, cross under the tunnel and come out and I'm supposed to see one of Andy's siblings or something like that. And instead I see Andy. And, and I thought, okay, you know, Andy, maybe they pulled an audible, you know, they changed plans on me, no anxiety, no stress, you know, it's just <laughs> my plans are falling apart already and we're only like eight miles into the race. So, um, not, that not, that's not serious, but Andy was there with whatever bottle I think it was that I wanted to trade off. And that was, that was fine. That was great. So a little while later, several miles down the road and around the block a bit, um, the next person was supposed to be there and lo and behold, it was Andy again. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, they're definitely changing plans on me, but that's okay. I've got what I need and uh, it's in the right spot. So I guess that's all right. We'll keep going. And as you know, if you've been at the Detroit course, after you hit the half marathon mark or shortly around there, the course takes basically a straight dive for like seven miles out of town, just straight And it's really hard, like you get no spectators out there because it's very difficult to get out there and back in any reasonable amount of time. Um, But I didn't realize at the time that Andy was planning on running four minute miles for (laughs) spectating. Exaggeration, but I did feel like I was really huffing it. So I'm running out there in the middle of nowhere, Bell Island and all that stuff. And who do I see again? Andy. And I'm just starting to think. How is she getting to all of these spots? Like, how fast does she have to be running? And how much running is she doing? At that point, she probably had run like 37 miles at no. four-minute mile pace. So, <laughs> um, if you if you're familiar with He's the high interval. In high intensity interval training, Andy was testing what it would be like to do high intensity interval training nonstop for 36 miles straight. Uh, as it turns out, it's possible if you're Andy. I don't <laughs> think anyone else should do this. Well, I get done with the race and 
sure enough, Andy had basically, um, it was a confusing thing. The whole thing was confusing. Yeah, it was and hard to get across places. Sure and get places. They had, yeah. I, we had just had miles that spring, so there was a stroller involved. So a lot of like moving parts and pieces. Yeah. So it was just easier for me to go <laughs> do it. Andy just grabbed what needed to be grabbed and just booked it to the spot. And, and I, I had everything I needed um, because of Andy. And, you know, certainly the family members there were all still supporting and such. And it wasn't for lack of doing things and being helpful and such. It was just kind of a marvel Logistics, that I get yeah. through the race. And I'm like, wow, that somehow it still worked out somehow because because Andy was there. Aww. And that that's great. So we we certainly have so many stories we could tell, and there's so many other people. And so to do honor to those to whom honor is due, we certainly wanted to mention just a few names here. Um, we could tell the stories, but we don't have enough time to tell all of them. So just stay tuned. We have great stories more, coming up. Yeah, more more stories certainly down the road at some point. But um, we we've got some people. So Andy, who are your people? Yeah. So my mom and dad, and even my grandfather, have traveled a lot for my races, and really take have taken care of me. In fact, tomorrow morning, my mom is going to be watching my kids so that I can, I can run <laughs> before I travel to Richmond, Virginia. Also my aunt Priscilla, who has been part of my running life and my siblings, including my in-law siblings, my mother-in-law, um, all these people have done tremendous things for me. And then of course I have to mention, especially this training cycle, my training partners bending their schedules and, you know, watching kids extra times cause I have longer runs than them. And that's Rebecca Noble, Eliza Owens, who's also my sister-in-law and Jen Wackerly. Definitely. And I can attest to the those supports there too because um, you know Andy doesn't Andy doesn't love as she's mentioned in the past being like a regimented structured training schedule that you know is everything's laid out for her that's not her favorite way to train um, but I think one of the things that has helped her endure it well is having the support of you know some teammates if you will is not in the same capacity but certainly they're you know they're kind of supporting each other in that way training together so for my part I uh, certainly want to mention just a couple of friends and teammates from over the years um, you've heard me talk about Jed Christensen and he's the one who has essentially uh, started me on my path toward uh, my understanding of distance running as it is today and then Adam Lohman and Josh Moderat are two others we ran together in college actually Adam and I have run together we ran together in middle school, high school, college, you know, just, just different points in time throughout. And to this day, he's the one that I run with the most often of any other person, um, which is just amazing. It's an incredible thing. We even coached together and you can't even forget that we coached together when I was coaching high school. And so Adam, Adam worked with me there too. So uh, a lot of good times, a lot of good memories, a lot of support there. And I want to mention coach from college Q, Nate Van Holten. Um, he's, he's been the staple in just me learning the sport um, and then me carrying that passion into different stages of life. He's the one who's kind of been pushing me along through a lot of that. So, and it huge. was his birthday a couple of days ago. Happy and birthday. And Q's birthday, February 12th. So happy birthday to Q. And you can slam him all over social media now that we have sold him out. So <laughs> go wish some belated happy birthdays. So at this point, we want to we want to jump over to stories from our listeners and subscribers and friends. Got a lot of great things, and we're sorry if, if we didn't have the opportunity to feature yours. Got a lot of response, and so we wanted to try to throw as many in here as we could. Um, and just a quick reminder that 
it's the little things in terms of support that can make such a big difference. You know, a text on, on occasion that just says, you know, I saw what you did and that's awesome. Great work. Uh, just, you know, trying to show up somewhere here and there to just cheer on at a race, just feeling noticed and feeling um, appreciated yeah. in our endeavors. And it can be a lonely sport. So this is a way to find love and support in running. All right. Let's hear from all of you. First one to mention here came in an email. This one's from Pete Mumbauer, and you've heard us talk about Pete. Uh, he's someone we've been working with in some training services and uh, really just uh, seen some great and inspiring things from Pete in the last couple of years as we've gotten to know him. Um, he gave a shout-out to Tim. So Tim cracked, especially, as Pete says, for the last several months, coming back from his stress fracture, this is Pete talking, coming back from my stress fracture and during my current Bayshore training, he's going to be running Bayshore 2020, he, Tim, has sent encouraging texts, checking up on training, sharing the struggles of marathon training with a full-time job, family, all that kind of stuff. Not to mention egging me on while he occasionally surpasses my weekly mileage. Really cannot say enough of how that lifts me up. Thanks for sharing, Pete. And that is a great example of how we can support in small ways with big impact. Our next one comes from Charlotte, and she is talking about her boyfriend, Brendan, and they met at a running event, Great Lakes Relay in 2017, and started dating almost immediately after. Brendan was her support person for a lot of reasons. He created her training plans, so it worked out for them too. <laughs> That's good. And... She started training for Boston for 2019, and he is the first person that she'll call for every single workout. If the workout went well, he celebrates her. If the workout went poorly, he ra he rationalizes it for her and helps her mentally get through some of that. And no matter what, no matter how far away, he tries to come to every single race. One key instance was road tripping eight hours with her parents, brave man. Brendan runs every time that Charlotte asks, and they stick together. And even on tough, tough runs, he stays with her, and she doesn't have to run it alone. He's exceptionally kind and makes sure that she's fed and she's had coffee. That's also key right there. I like that. Fed and caffeinated. He's the best support person she's ever had and more than she says that she deserves. And we'll include a couple pictures from her races. And he did stick with her while she had to jog in a final five miles of a marathon. And it was really rough for her. That's great. Thank you, Charlotte. Our first story comes from a competitor at the Melrose Games that we mentioned earlier. Second place in the race walk, Cody Risch. And he gives us a story about his coach, Nate Van Holten, better known as Coach Q. As we mentioned Q earlier, because Cody and I did run together in college, so we had the same coach. And Q has continued to coach Cody since college. Yeah. So let's hear from Cody. I wanted to leave a story about the first time I traveled for a race walk race with Q. We went out to Oregon for the World Cup trials, what the race was. We were staying in Eugene, um, and Q had booked a hotel that just had one bed in it. And since I was the one racing, he being the coach and my support staff and everything in between, um, opted to sleep on the floor so that I could sleep on the bed, get as best night to sleep as possible. However, when we got to the hotel, the space available on the floor was possibly 14 inches wide between the bed and the wall. And he took the comforter off the bed and kind of just laid it on the floor there and took a pillow, and that's where he slept for 
two or three nights while I got the whole queen size bed to myself so that I could race. This being my very first 20K, it did not go well. It did not end well. It was a very rough time. But um, thanks to him and that then his attitude throughout our whole time together as coach and athlete over the past 11 years, um, he's always been sacrificing and always been giving up his luxury so that I, the athlete, the one competing, is able to compete at my best. So that's just one story. If you want more, please let me know. I have plenty of them, but wanted to share that one. Rebecca Cruttenden is an Ironman triathlete. She's the founder of Clara Cookies. We can only imagine the amount of support you may require for an Ironman. I mean, I think about my marathon and then all the stuff that they do before that. Like, it's unfathomable to me how much work you have to put in. So she has a lot of support. She's a great support system and she's a great support to others. But this is maybe about one that you may have not considered. Hi, this is Rebecca Cruttenden with my favorite support person story. My favorite support person, well, he's actually not a person. He is my big 90-pound fluffy Australian Shepherd dog. He is a therapy dog, and he is the best therapy in the world during long Ironman races. So he has come around the country the last four years to my Ironman race with my husband and my mom and dad and my friends, and he's on the race course. He's gone to Wisconsin and Chattanooga and last year to Maryland. So he's on the course during the bike and the run along with my husband um, to give me a little smuggle therapy. So I usually stop on the bike once and stop on the run two or three times to get some snuggles and I bury my face in his fur and I get some puppy kisses on my sweaty face and it just really cheers me up and keeps me going. But this last year in uh, Maryland for the Ironman, I'd had a particularly difficult race. It had started with horrible jellyfish things all over my face on the swim and when I started the marathon hours later after the bike they were still burning and I'd had a really hard bike with lots of wind and I was just not making the time that I was hoping to. So I was at the beginning of the marathon knowing that it was not at all going to be a PR. In fact it's probably going to be my slowest race ever. So I just decided to enjoy it. So the way the course was set up I actually saw my family and my puppy and dog, his name is Storm, I saw him, I think, six times on the marathon. And each time, I stopped and stumbled for about two or three minutes. And I tell you, by the time I got to the end of the race, it did not matter to me. It's dark, and it's lonely, and it's getting toward the end of the night, about 14 hours later. It didn't matter to me that my race was 14 or 15 minutes longer than it would have been because those 14 or 15 minutes that I was smuggling my puppy were much needed to get me through the rest of the race. And my family has said that so many other runners stop and snuggle him too that we've decided that in the future we're going to put a sign out that says dog therapy snuggles ahead and put it about 200 feet in front of him on the run course so that anybody can stop and snuggle him. So he is my favorite my favorite cheerleader, and he's going to come to every one of my races from now on. Thanks. What a story you're about to hear. Aaron Laplander unpacks 100 miles worth of support and gratitude. As a runner, it's hard to single out any one person when trying to give a shout-out to those who support you. This becomes even harder when you enjoy competing in the distances of the marathon and longer. Races like that don't happen with the support of only one person. However, for the sake of time, I'm going to single out three. Last summer, I was able to experience walking up a red carpet to cross the finish line of one of the oldest and most challenging 100-milers in the country, the Leadville Trail 100, and actually shout out to Floyd of Leadville for that opportunity. 
29 hours, 12 minutes, and 35 seconds after a shotgun was fired, I was able to grab the hands of two people with my support crew, while the third stood on the sideline recording my last few steps. The first two of these three that I'm going to single out are my parents. Not only did they support me in this race, but they have supported me throughout the last 10 years of craziness from college meet to going all over the country for multiple different marathons, putting themselves in situations where they are not necessarily the most comfortable so that they could be there for me in both my moments of need and my moments of triumph. Even just saying this is making me emotional because it makes me realize how much they love me and support me in all of my endeavors, even when they think I'm crazy. The third member of my support trio would be my boyfriend, Stephen Kuntz. A week before my race, I crewed for him as he rode to a massive 27-minute PR in the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. He then returned the favor by accompanying me and my parents as they went to the Pipeline Alternative Aid Station and Twin Lakes before taking a bus to Winfield, which is at the halfway point, to join me and as he said, take me as far as he could. He said that because at this point, his longest run was in September of 2017 at the run Woodstock 50K, and he hadn't run anything much longer than a marathon since October of 2017, where he picked up a knee injury in the Grand Rapids Marathon that has nagged him ever since. The furthest run he had done the year of Leadville was the Riverbank 25K. Granted, he did that in 145 and beat me in the process, but running something a little bit shorter and fast is completely different than running something long. Climbing up the backside of Hope Pass was definitely my darkest race moment. After leaving Winfield, which is 50 miles, you have some rolling trail that leads you to the backside of Hope Pass where you begin a two and three quarter mile climb that at points reaches a 25% grade. Not only is it steep, but it also has loose footing and is above 11,000 feet for the entirety of the climb before peaking at a, t- at a height of 12,600 as you reach the top. Leadville is one of the few ultras that allow your pacer to be a pack mule, and it was in this climb that Steve grabbed my hydration vest so that I could be as light as possible as I was approaching 55 miles into the race. Every time I wanted to stop, he reminded me why I was out there and just told me to get a little bit further, and then I could sit down and take some nutrition for a couple minutes. Every time I didn't care that I told him I didn't care anymore, he reminded me that that was not, in fact, true, and I had a lot of people praying for me so that I could complete this race. Every time I looked up and saw how much higher the switchbacks were that I still had to get to, he reminded me that each step I took would take me closer to all that, but I didn't have to worry about that yet because I just needed to focus on the here and now. He kept reminding me that the more I walked, the closer to the top I would get and then be able to descend, and then breathing and focusing would become better, which would ultimately lead to me feeling strong again. He reminded me that my parents were waiting for me at Twin Lakes, and they had flown all the way out to Colorado in order to help me achieve something that I had never dreamed possible. Once again, just reminiscing all this brings just tears to my eyes. Even when I had lost ambition, he wanted me to succeed. When I was weak, he was strong. Once we reached the top, we began to descend down to the Hope Pass aid station, which is three-quarters of a mile down. He told me to sit, got me a cup of ramen, and reminded me that it could only get better from here because we would be getting lower in elevation, and I was still ahead of the time cutoff. After a while, he grabbed my hand and helped me out of the chair, and we continued the trail back down towards my parents at Twin Lakes. Arriving at Twin Lakes meant meeting the other two vitally important members of my crew who were ready and waiting for me. As I cruised into the 62-mile aid station of Twin Lakes inbound, comfortably ahead of the time cutoff, I sat down in a chair as they handed me dry clothing and shoes to change into, snacks and water to put in my hydration bag, and a ham and cheese sandwich to snack on, and coffee to alert me as I headed out into the dark of night. The next 14 or so miles were hands down the strongest miles of the race for me. Steve even told my parents once we reached Once we reached the pipeline alternate aid station that he was afraid I might drop him if I maintained this pace. I chuckle and say that he jinxed me in saying that because a mile down the trail, the temperature dropped 20 degrees and I suddenly needed more clothing than I had on me. 
Conveniently, we had told my parents to meet us three miles up the trail at Outward Bound Aid Station. Steve ran ahead and got a jacket and a pair of tights from my dad. And at that aid station, I made the decision to take off my shoes and put on tights. I didn't know it at the time, but that decision ended up derailing the rest of my race. In doing so, I allowed my feet to swell and my blisters to expand. Once I put my shoes back on, I was reduced to a walk for the rest of the 23 and a half miles of the race because any impact past a walk I couldn't manage due to the blistering of my feet. Even still, Steve continued forward with me. We talked about lots of different topics, and he maintained a rigid eating plan for me, so much so that he actually forgot about himself, and about two miles from May Queen, he hit a wall. As he'd focused so much on me, he'd forgotten to eat himself. We trudged through that miserable section in the dark until finally we heard some cheers from the good people of the last aid station. There, we both held each other accountable to eating and drinking enough before heading out again and beginning the 12.6-mile stretch towards the finish. With four miles to go, I asked a random bystander how far from the finish we were, and when he told me a completely absurd and wrong number, I lost it on him. Steve calmed me down and told me I knew more about where I was in any in the race than any random spectator, so I shouldn't let it bother me that he was wrong. I was just irrational, as I had been awake for over 30 hours at this point. I'll never forget rounding the truly big hill on 6th Street, reaching the top, surrounded by the townspeople cheering and exclaiming, You did it! You're about to be a Leadville finisher! Congratulations! I suddenly realized what I'd been traipsing around in the mountains to accomplish. Tears began to stream down my cheeks, and I remember starting to smile at the realization of what was about to happen. About eighth of a mile from the finish, my dad stepped out of the crowd, clapping and smiling, only to suddenly stop seeing my tear-drenched face close up and said, Oh my goodness, you're in pain. I laughed and pointed, saying, No, look, there it is. The finish line is right there. And then paused, following up with, Well, yes, I'm kind of hurting too, but look, Dad, it's right there. I'm so close. And suddenly I heard the announcers calling my name, and I grabbed both of their hands. My dad pointed at my mom in the crowd, holding up her phone, recording the moment. And then suddenly, Ken was handing me a rose, and Mary Lee was hugging me and putting a medal around my neck. Steve and my dad both took turns hugging me, and I was pulled aside by the Floyd's crew to get a picture taken as a finisher of my first Leadville. My mom came around and found me and hugged me tightly, saying something about how she could be done worrying and hoped I would never do anything like this again. Honestly, I don't remember exactly what I said in response. My feet and legs suddenly realized that they didn't need to move anymore, and Steve, who had just run and walked 50 miles with me, helped me onto his back to carry me halfway home. He then put me down, and my dad picked me up to carry me the rest of the way. For weeks and months afterwards, I continually got, and actually I still get complimented on what a great thing I accomplished in those 29 hours. What I don't think people realize is that without the three people giving up their time and sleep, regular meals, and comfortable free time to sit and stand in the sun or stay up all night praying, eating whatever happened to be easiest in the moment, I never would have finished. I would have sat too much on the backside of hope and missed the cutoff, but Steve wouldn't let me. I would have taken more time at the aid stations, but my parents had everything laid out ready for me to choose from. They all prayed so much for me that I never fell. I had no GI issues, and the weather was as clear as it could be. I finished a race that only 44% of people finished on my first try. And while I'm talking about support crews, the vast number of people across the country cheering and praying for me played a huge role. But let's be honest, the real hero in this story is the God who gave me the strength, willpower, determination, and gift in the first place, and who listened to the prayers of his people to give me the perfect storm to finish a grueling race. This one comes from Jen Wackerly, and she mentioned she didn't feel like she had a specific moment to share as much as kind of like an overall thing. And so here's Jen's note. Ever since we had kids, my husband Luke has always let me have Saturday mornings for my long run and never complains when it turns into a long run and a coffee and maybe a little shopping. I always look forward to Saturday mornings and having some time just for myself, and I couldn't have that without Luke's support and understanding. 
Thanks, Jen. And certainly thanks, Luke, for all that support. Yeah. And also I need to thank Luke because Jen often is running with me and those Saturday mornings. So thank you, Luke. I appreciate you sharing Jen with us. This next one comes from Alex and Kaylin Russo, who are like couple goals. They're both great runners and in the fitness realm. You should definitely check them out. But this is from Alex. I have one from a long time ago in college freshman year when I got extremely dehydrated at Hillsdale during the 10K and passed out. In my foggy in and out, Kaylin was by my side and I ended up proposing to her on the way to the hospital. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That, is that an ambulance proposal or? <laughs> I, you know, he knew in that life and death moment what he wanted for the rest of his life. And I think he's a pretty smart guy for that. What an incredible story. So proposal in delirium still counts in the state of Michigan, by the way. I know that both of us being runners has allowed us to find common ground when it comes time to train. We understand the needs that each other has to be successful and just to hang out. I was inspired by these stories. I thought they were great to give ideas and to possibly help us appreciate the people that we have in our lives who are supporting us. So my challenge for all of us, including myself, call to action. Call to action is to reach out to someone today who has been supportive of you to say thank you. That's great. That's your homework, as (laughs) our teachers love to say. Um, Yeah, and and we mentioned it earlier, like how can you show your appreciation uh, for those who support you? And it's important. Um, I think it's also important for our own selves as well, not just for the other people that you know hear that they're appreciated, but for ourselves. Because when I can, when I can have gratitude as a default function, um, it's it's a significantly more enriching experience for both of us, the people supporting me and myself. So let's do that. So if you have your support person that you want to honor today too, feel free to comment in our comment section on Instagram, Facebook, or on the blog post to honor them. We'd love to see it too. Yeah. Share your thoughts as always. And certainly connect with us if you've got some questions or comments or needs and we could possibly help reach out anytime. We would love to support you. Mm